the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. Want to hear good news? I'm not joking. I have honest-to-goodness good news. New York Post, which has many important articles. Over 100 Harvard professors form a council in a fight for free speech amid what they call a crisis. That's good news. And I will say I'm not surprised that it's Harvard. Harvard is as left-wing as any university, but there are people there who actually believe in truth. It's a minority view on virtually every campus in the United States. Over 100. See, this is what needs to be done, but I, I will be very pleasantly surprised if more than 10 other universities in the country have a council for free speech composed of professors. When you're at Harvard, you can sort of get away with it. But if you're at, I don't know, the University of Wisconsin, which is a prestigious university for whatever reason, you are more afraid of the mob than you are at Harvard. More than 100 of the school's faculty members have joined the new Council on Academic Freedom. Well, you can't get more direct than that. Banding together to protect free speech at Harvard. We are in a crisis time right now. Janet Halley, a Harvard Law School professor and feminist legal theory scholar, told The Post, that she spoke to the New York Post. That in itself is good. Many, many people are being threatened with and actually put through a disciplinary process for their exercise of free speech and academic freedom. Hmm. The initiative was announced earlier this month with a Boston Globe op-ed penned by the Council's co-founder, Psychology professor Steven Pinker. I've had Steven Pinker on my show a number of times. He's an atheist psychologist who believes in liberty. Now, I'm going to have him on again if he comes on. I think he would. And I'll tell you what one of the things that I will ask him. He wrote a book about how the arc of goodness, if you will, that's my, or morality, I don't remember his term, 
is bending toward the good. That he, he, it's an, a book of optimism, which I found a bit strange, given that he just we just left the 20th century, the, the century of more barbarity uh, than any in the history of the world, and every century has been barbaric. So now I'm going to ask him, so Professor Pinker, with all of your optimism, how do you explain the utter corruption of academia? Shouldn't that have been part of the arc, the moral arc that you have described and predicted? I have no idea what will answer. Most fun in my interviews, and I love doing interviews, the most fun I have is asking questions, the answers to which I don't know what the interviewee will give. Very often, uh, of course, I have a, I have a hunch uh, that I know what answer they'll give, what I'm interested in, is hearing the way that they will express it. That's, that's obvious, uh, to me at any rate. But that question, I have no idea what he'll answer. So with all your optimism, how do you explain the fact that the Oregon Education Department and the Ontario-Canada Education Department have declared that the idea that there are only one, that there is only one answer to a math problem uh, is white supremacist? How do you, uh, how do you explain that there are people who believe that fewer police means less crime precisely as crime rises? I mean, there were so many questions to ask him. Why did you, when you wrote your book, Professor Pinker, I don't recall doing this before, giving you a series of questions that I will ask a guest, but anyway... And given your optimism, sir, when you wrote your book, did you ever imagine you would have to f- form a council on free speech at Harvard? I, 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 I find optimism in that sense silly. It's wishful thinking. The human capacity for evil is so extensive. The initiative was announced earlier this month, I told you that, with an op-ed by Steven Pinker, who declared, quote, Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, and if we don't defend academic freedom, we should not be surprised when a disgusted citizenry writes us off. A disgusted c- citizenry, to a large extent, has written you off. That is correct. Actually, he wrote years ago, and I've quoted him in pieces I've written, that the, uh, the university has become a laughingstock. Many people think, this is uh, citing Professor Janet Halley, the professor of law at Harvard, many people think that they're entitled not to be offended on campus, and they are willing to complain. It's very difficult for institutions to stop the disciplinary wheels from churning. Yep. Despite consistently topping U.S. News and World Report's college rankings, 
Harvard ranked 170th out of 203 schools on the 2022 Campus Free Speech Rankings of FIRE. That's the organization that ranks them. Wow. My, uh, My graduate school, Columbia University, was last. I was not surprised. A 2023 survey conducted in collaboration with College Pulse found that only 27% of Harvard students thought shouting down a speaker on campus was never acceptable. So three-quarters of Harvard students say that shouting down a speaker is sometimes acceptable. And, of course, they determine when the acceptable is. Three-quarters of Harvard students. If I know you went to Harvard, I, I know that you have a certain level of brain intelligence. That's all I know. I assume that you're as big a dummy as a kid who went to some state college elsewhere. I wonder if, if people recognize that the cachet, I mean, if, you, if I, I know you went to Yale, uh, then uh, they're in, okay, I think my contempt for Yale is profound. The president of that university has truly ruined it. Here's another one. 26% of college students said it's at least occasionally permissible to use violence to stop speech on campus. 25% say that you can use violence. Well, this is what they have been taught. I'll bet, I'll bet more of the professors, a bigger percentage of professors believe that. Medical school professor Jeffrey Flyer said, During the great part of my career, I never really thought that of there being a problem with free speech or academic freedom at Harvard. I mean, that would have almost seemed like a non sequitur. Well, there you go. There's another surprised liberal. These are liberals. Some of them might say they're leftists, but you are the positions you hold. If you're for free speech, you're not a leftist. By definition. I, there is no instance of the left being in power since Lenin in Russia that they have allowed dissent. Flyer is co-president of the new group and of the, from the medical school, which he hopes will help fortify free speech on campus and preemptively prevent censorship. When the next instance occurs, this group will spring into action both behind the scenes and publicly. All right, there was good news. Rare, rare indeed these days. Every day when I pass a mirror, I still can't believe it. It's me. I'm looking back at myself. I never thought I'd be this fit again, but 42 pounds ago, I decided to take control of my health. And with the help of my PhD weight loss and nutrition, 
I'm so glad I did. The program is simple. Dr. Ashley Lucas and her amazing team customize a plan for your body to make it simple. They even provide 80% of your food at no additional cost. They treat your entire person as one. Dr. Ashley believes that all change starts with the mind. She'll help you to change your behavior when it comes to food and think differently about food so you'll never gain the weight back. Give them a call right now at 864-644-1900 and they can answer all your questions. If I can do it, you can do it. Good news that I've reported to you. Over 100 Harvard professors have started a group to protect free speech. One, one final, uh, well, two final uh, sentences here that are very interesting. One of his fellow co-presidents, philosophy professor Ned Hall, that is uh, president of this new council, said the council, quote, is resolutely nonpartisan. It pulls members from across the political aisle. Some people will read the expression of academic freedom as code for right wing, but it's simply not. Isn't that interesting that when you have the words free expression, it is assumed to be right wing even by people on the left? Isn't that a compliment to the right wing? According to FIRE survey, only 14% of students would feel very comfortable expressing controversial views with peers, and three-quarters of students are at least somewhat worried about reputation damage if they express an unpopular opinion. That is the state of academia in the United States. And now for some bad news. I had to somewhat buffer this. This is from NBC TV News in Burlington, Vermont. Vermont school district's use of gender-inclusive language in health class sparks backlash. So listen to this. I have the actual uh, I have the actual letter sent out on April 20th from the Essex Westford School District. Again, Burlington in Burlington, the area of Burlington, Vermont. Dear fifth grade families and caregivers. It's an interesting even that I, I didn't I didn't pick up on that until I read it out loud. Dear fifth grade families and caregivers. I wonder. I wonder why that was uh, added. I mean, this is just a curiosity question. Families and caregivers. So we want to include in the address those who take care of fifth graders, but are not family. Who might that be? Uh, I, I'm. I'm not uh, at all. Being sarcastic, who, who would that be? You are being taken care of in fifth grade by non-family. 
Maybe somebody could call in. I'm, I'm very curious what they had in mind. I usually understand the left because of their, you know, their desire to be inclusive. Uh, but who is that including? All right. Also, remember, this is to fifth grade. How old are you in fifth grade? Nine? Is that right? Fifth, I think of it this way. Fifth grade kindergarten, sixth grade first, seventh grade second, eighth grade third. Wait, no. What, it's 10 to 11? What did I say? Okay, I said 9. Okay, 10 to 11. It is time for our science health unit about the human body focused on puberty and the human reproductive systems. This unit will take place during the last few months of school. We will focus on the physical and emotional changes that occurred during puberty and briefly introduce the basic structure and function of human reproductive systems. Students will be participating in whole group discussions and have private reflection time. So, I didn't have this in fifth grade. I didn't have private reflection time on puberty. And now that I think of it, that that may be a... uh, a real lacuna in my life. Yep. If I uh, if I were seeing a therapist, I would have to say, you know what? I think the root of my issues is that in fifth grade I didn't have private reflection time on puberty. I was against sex education from the outset. Why why do schools do this? They claimed because the pregnancy rates were high. Have they been lowered one drop by all of this sex education? It was just a way to prematurely sexualize children and take away parental authority. That is all it was about. And now you have this. Let's refl- uh, uh, By the way, you know what's going to happen in those classes. So are you feeling that you're really a girl or really a boy? Or maybe you're not sure. During private reflection time, I want you, I want you to think about that. Maybe, maybe you're, you're not the sex assigned at birth. Back in a moment. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a small retail business almost $80,000. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a manufacturing business nearly $250,000. And COVIDtaxrelief.org just got a large distribution business almost $900,000. If you run a business, church, or nonprofit and paid your employees through all or part of the pandemic, you could qualify for up to $26,000 per employee through the government's CARES Act. But beware of clickbait or pay-up-front companies 
that make you do the work and take a huge percentage of your refund. COVIDtaxrelief.org receives a low, reasonable commission only after you receive your refund. And with 300 CPAs and tax experts, no one is better at getting you the maximum benefit than COVIDtaxrelief.org. Visit COVIDtaxrelief.org now because this plan expires soon. That's COVIDtaxrelief.org, COVIDtaxrelief.org. Refund examples are not a guarantee and not all businesses qualify. Yep, I'm reading to you a letter from a, a school district in Vermont, Essex Westford School District, to parents, to families and caregivers. By the way, some some of you are answering my question, which I love, when it says here, Dear fifth grade families and caregivers, who are caregivers that are not family? And Kathy has an answer in Huntington Beach, California. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Dennis. Hi. Yes. Caregivers are just, you know, like I am, uh, foster parents. That's what they call us. And so there's a lot of them in the school systems. Uh, There are a lot? You'd be surprised how many foster parents there are. You're right. I would. I'm I'm learning, which I love doing. I, I wonder, though... Isn't the fact that they're called parents, they're not foster caregivers, so... But the system calls us caregivers. That's what our title is. You're a foster parent? Yes, I am. How old is the child you're parenting? I have two brothers, a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. And why were they given to you? I can't. I'm forbidden from saying that to public. Even though no one knows who you are or who they are? <laughs> well, I'll say this. Most of the foster children in the system are because parents have problems with drugs. How long have you had these? Are they siblings? Yes, they are. How long have you had them? Uh, almost like nine months, I believe. Ten months. How is it going? It's going okay. They have issues. It's difficult, but it's going okay. Have they bonded to you or you to them? Mm, I think the bonding is limited. Um, Is that intentional? I I have bonded. Um, I think for them it is. For us. No, I've bonded to one of them very much. Yeah. How long will you have... teenagers, Dennis. Yeah, that, that's a very teenagers. good point. Yes, no, 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 your point is well taken. I, I have an interesting take on teenage, but, but I, I want to... I really am interested in this. How long will you have them? Um, probably they're on their way back to go to be reun, reunification, as they call it. So I would think maybe another month. That's it. Do they want to go back? Yes, very much so fascinating so the the letter sent out is you think it is appropriate to say dear families and caregivers as opposed to dear families alone 
I do because I guess, well, I don't really care. It doesn't bother me. I wouldn't feel offended if I wasn't in the letter. But I see what they're trying to be inclusive, as they always are, you know, for the caregivers. There's a lot of people who aren't family taking care of children. So, But while they are with you, it, there, there is a, isn't there some sense of family or it's not an appropriate term? No, I believe there is some sense of family, very much so. So then it's not inclusive, it's actually excluding. We don't want you who have caregivers to think of it as a family. That's what, that's what it's saying. Maybe. That's a good point. Maybe. Thank you. Yeah. So in an attempt to be inclusive, they're actually excluding. Because they're saying that the, the people who are taking care of kids are not families. Hmm. Tell me if my logic is uh, wrong. Fascinating. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Donna in Georgia says other caregivers would be nannies. Yeah, it's hard to imagine this letter was written to nannies, but I thank you for calling. Foster care is the reason why they include caregivers. That, that's another call. All right, so again, it's hard for me to imagine that any foster parent would get this note from the school district and go, wow, thank God, now I know I'm included. We'll be back in a moment. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free offer with promo code Prager. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listeners square to the buy one, get one free offer. Enter promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. So I'm reading to you a letter sent out by a Vermont school district to parents, excuse me, families. They don't, they don't use any more dear parents. That's another thing. Because they don't want to imply that everybody has a parent. So what they do is, this is what the left does, it, it eliminates the ideal. Simple. Families and caregivers. All right, anyway, that, the, the, the point is not even that. So they're telling them that they're going to, in fifth grade, they're going to start learning about puberty and the changes that they will feel. It, was all, it will all be, of course, propaganda. I would take my kid out of that school uh, and either find another school or simply a homeschool, which is what I think the ideal is. 
It is an extremely hard decision. No pain, no gain in life. People are taking, understandably by the way, the easy way out because of finances and other things that are involved in homeschooling and won't do it. Here's an interesting question for you. What percentage of parents regret, now that their kid is in his or her 20s, regret that they did not homeschool their kid versus the number of the percentage of parents who regret that they did homeschool their kid? What would you say the, 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 the data would be? What percentage of parents do you think regret that they didn't homeschool their child? Well, I would say that every single parent who has a leftist child uh, would be an example of somebody. So that would be about half, about 50%. And that's, it may be more. What percentage of parents who did homeschool think, oh, I, I spent too much money, I lost too much money in one of our incomes, it was too difficult, or I'm not happy with the result. What, par- what percentage of those parents you think think that? 2%? There's a great Hebrew saying from the Talmud, the second holiest work of Judaism, and, and nearly always I only tell you in English, but I'm in the mood to tell it to you in Hebrew. Ezehu hechacham etanolad. Who is the wise person? He who sees what will be born. Who sees what will be born? Does it mean only prophets are wise people? No. It's people who contemplate the consequences of their behavior. Sending your child to most American schools today means that you have opted not to ask What will my child be as a result of the sick institution, which is usually, not always, the school that my child attends? So now it gets, of course, much much worse, or I wouldn't have done this. Okay, let's see what else here. So let's, we will focus on the physical and emotional changes that occurred during puberty. Just what a fifth grader needs and briefly introduce the basic structures and function of human reproductive systems. Students will be participating in whole group discussions. So I assume it's boys and girls. Why why is this important even if it's all boys or all girls? Why is it the damn business of a teacher to get involved in puberty discussions with fifth graders? This is here. Now, here we go. Students will be participating in whole group discussions and have private reflection time. There will also be three interview opportunities coming home throughout the unit. What does that mean? Three interview opportunities coming home? I'd like to know what that means. Now, this is the punchline. In an effort to align our curriculum with our equity policy, teachers will be using gender-inclusive language throughout this unit. 
With any differences, we strive to use person-first language as best practice. You will see examples of this below. We will be using the following language with students. Persons, person who produces sperm in place of boy, male, and assigned male at birth. Person who produces eggs in place of girl, female, and assigned female at birth. You hear that? And parents are okay with this? There are no more boys. There are sperm producers. No more girls. Egg producers. These people are sick and disgusting. And parents will continue to send their kid there. Why are parents not as responsible for the wreckage as the, as the schools are? One eight Prager seven seven six. Curious how you would take that. So the school district, including Burlington, Vermont, will now, as a fifth grade, no longer refer to boys as boys or men as men, but rather as people who produce sperm. And girls will be people, persons who produce eggs. And parents will continue to send their kids there. Shockingly, it was signed by the principal, and it is a woman. Stunning. That was sarcastic. Wow. By breaking down language to be more inclusive, to talk about what body parts do rather than who people are, it helps young people access the information no matter the identities they hold. Amanda Rodenberg, Associate Director of Outright Vermont, said. Hmm. Shocking, another woman. They can connect that this body part does this thing, and that means X, Y, Z for my future. I didn't quite understand what that meant. I read it a few times. Rodenberg added that LGBTQ plus youth make up a large number of unwanted pregnancies each year. Her hope is that a more inclusive health and sex education curriculum can help lower those statistics. God the lies. But this is interesting. LGBTQ plus make up a large number of unwanted pregnancies. Why is that? I mean it. I'm very curious. Well, I don't understand why the L do. I don't understand why the G do. How do lesbians get pregnant? generally speaking, or, or gay men. So I don't understand L and G. Why would bi, why would trans, I don't, I don't understand. They make up a large number of unwanted pregnancies, but, but heterosexuals are not on this list. Well, trans could be heterosexual. 
and parents will still do it. Yes, indeed. Kyle is right. We are becoming a country of cowards. That's true. That is true. We return. You're listening to The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. Tucker Carlson has been the, the dominant issue. Fascinating. I think he had, what was it, 30 million views in the first five hours? That's sort of unprecedented, I think, uh, for one individual. Fox News has done him a big favor. I don't know what the future of Fox News is. I don't know what animated it. I don't know. People have speculated on so many things. I I tend not to speculate. If I know, I know. Sometimes, if if something is clear to me, but not been verified, then I'll say, yes, this is what I think. But I I have no idea here. There may be a whole host of, of issues What, what it has done uh, is, I was on Newsmax last night, and uh, I will be again on Friday. That's to, what is that, tomorrow, yes. And uh, they're, they're increasing their views. So people are gradually moving over in terms of conservative networks to... Uh, a number of conservative alternatives on the internet and and sometimes cable as well there is a there is truly uh, there, there are two countries there's the New York Times country and then there is the conservative country they have nothing in common a very a very tragic fact I, I don't, uh, I don't sugarcoat reality. I look at human nature and I understand its proclivities, and I aim to have people be better and more good, which is what better means. I said recently in a podcast debate that I aim 
my aim is to produce good people, not saints. Then people dismissed that. Uh, they thought it was a, a very bad comment. Our task is to try to produce saintly people. Given the amount of evil on this planet, I actually would be quite satisfied uh, with uh, the world being good. So would you, most of you. A very important question in, in, in any event. Good, to be good involves being courageous. That alone is so rare. So I, I don't, I've never pushed people toward the saintly. Let's be honest, courageous, get married, make a family. Pretty basic stuff. But for some, and I'm thinking in, in religious communities, that's not enough. And I understand that. Uh, but uh, for the great majority of people, there are people who can live a saintly life. But for the great majority of people, let's aim that they, they don't hurt their fellow human being, which vast numbers of people do. Oh, anyway. The first hour of my show today, uh, incidentally, uh, I will be speaking tonight in Phoenix for uh, the Patriot there. And I believe, I want to give you the, uh, let's see if that is uh, from right here. Yeah, that's right. Here it is. So go to, uh, let's see, 960thepatriot.com. If there are still tickets, I don't know. The event is tonight in Phoenix. It's a blast, these uh, cigar nights. Half the people there don't smoke cigars, uh, but it's very informal. We really have a chance to have dialogues. So again, tonight in Phoenix. And go to 960thepatriot.com. It's a wonderful station. Good people. Jim Ryan is a, a wonderful man, and I appreciate him. I met a lot of really good people through Salem. Been with this company since 1999. It's 24 years. It's hard to believe. Yep. It's hard to believe when any of these times go fast. Anyway, the first hour, I talked to you about a school district in Vermont that sent out a notice that from now on, in fifth grade, they will refer to boys as sperm producers and girls as uh, uh, persons who produce eggs. Yeah, I have the letter. I have the letter sent out by the Essex-Westford School District. And parents will still send their kids there. Are you are you a boy? Well, I, I produce sperm. You understand how sick the left is? Do you understand that? Sick. Not just bad. Sick. This is psychological. This is psychopathological. Psychopaths are teaching your kids in some cases. 
If psychopath means a psychologically pathologic person, tell me if you think it is normal, psychologically normal, forget morally normal, to have kids referred to as sperm producers or egg producers rather than as boys or girls. Tell me that there is something normal about that. I have another report from another school district. This one is in Washington State. A Washington school district is planning to cut music classes. This is from the New York Post. It believes promotes white supremacy culture and significant institutional violence. The Olympia, that's the capital of Washington, school district, which is facing a budget shortfall of $11.5 million, voted last week to eliminate band and strings for fourth graders in an effort to both save money and fight racism. Because if it is not clear to you that band and string playing is white supremacist, you really, that means you graduated school a while ago. It's not clear to you. Yeah. Students at some campuses are required to miss core instruction in order to attend music classes the school board director Scott Clifthorne said what core instruction are they missing music is very 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 important it's like another language are they giving sex education at this school why don't you eliminate that instead of band instruction We also know that there are other folks in the community that experience things like a tradition of excellence as exclusionary. Oh, really? There are people who uh, regard a tradition of excellence as exclusionary. By the way, they're right. You can't deny a truth. A tradition of excellence excludes the non-excellent. That's entirely accurate. If you don't pursue excellence, a tradition of excellence excludes you. Good. My God. To become the head of a school district, do you you have to be a fool? I mean, is it a requirement? We're a school district that lives in and is entrenched in and is surrounded by white supremacy culture, and that's a real thing. This is the head of the, of the school district in Olympia, Washington. Man's a liar, aside from everything else. Really? You're entrenched in, live in, and surrounded by white supremacy culture? In Olympia, Washington? Any examples? I go, oh, yes, teaching string uh, playing. Why didn't I think of that? You know how it, the, the only racist thing is thinking that teaching string playing and teaching excellence is racist because it means that non-whites don't care about excellence. That's what he's saying. That is exactly what he is saying. The board director told concerned parents that there was nothing intrinsically white supremacist about string or instrumental music, but warned that there are ways in which it could contribute to the racist culture. Really? String playing contributes to a racist culture. 
Well. What do you What do you think of all these stories that I'm telling you? By the way, Sean McConnell, who uh, occasionally uh, works on the show, uh, made an interesting point about the point that I made about the Vermont school district that they will they will do refer to fifth graders as persons who produce sperm rather than boy male or assigned male at birth and person who produces eggs in place of girl female and assigned female but that's not true because if they have a trans fifth grader uh, they will be saying let's say it's a girl who says she is a boy so she is a uh, th- this is not instead of boy because they will say person who produces eggs. So this is really, it's all about trans. And parents will continue to send their kids to that Vermont school. Parents in Olympia, Washington will continue to send their kids there where they teach that uh, apparently, uh, first of all, according to uh, this fool, uh, and it's it's generally a requirement in, in education today, especially people who run school districts, that they are surrounded by and uh, entrenched in white supremacist culture. And they he warned that string or instrumental music can be can contribute to racist culture. Here is his, his statement. The way in which it is and the ways in which all of our institutions, not just schools, but local government, state government, churches, and neighborhoods, inculcate and allow white supremacy culture to continue to be propagated and cause significant institutional violence are things that we have to think about carefully as a community. Does he believe anything he just said? I don't know. I, I, I admit it, I don't know. In Olympia, Washington, the, the churches and the neighborhoods and the state government, what local government, isn't it mostly run by, by uh, Democrats? And they're propagating violence, institutional violence against not other races? The decision angered parents, one of which said the decision was par for the course for the controversial board, which allowed one of its elementary schools to ban white students for a new safe space club. Ban white students. The left is evil. I give you an example virtually every day that I broadcast. And the parents will continue to send their kids there. What is more precious to you than your child? I asked last hour a question. What percentage of people regret that they didn't homeschool their children now that they see what an a-hole their child has become as a result of left-wing propaganda? Not not everybody has an a-hole for a child, but if your child has become a leftist, it is very unlikely that your child is a kinder, finer, wiser human being. Very unlikely. 
and they look at their child who has contempt for them having been warped by leftism, do they regret that they didn't homeschool that child? Yes, they do. So what percentage of people have a child like this? About 50%. I'm talking a child in late teens, 20s. And what percentage of people who homeschooled their child regret that they homeschooled their child? Okay. Mountain Home, Arkansas. Justin, hello. Hello, Justin. Yes, sir. I'm here. Yeah, okay. I'm here. All right, take it away. Uh, well, I have four children, and I moved from Phoenix, Arizona, to get out of the now swamp, whatever, about ten years ago. And uh, I always wanted to homeschool my kids, but I couldn't because the price of it, you know. And then now I can, and my 15-and-a-half-year-old doesn't want to because, I mean, like the whole COVID deal, uh, she wants to be around her friends, which I understand. But, I mean, they have nose rings and piercings in different places and stuff at 15, 16 years old, and I don't know what to do with that. At what age did you want to homeschool that child? By the way, why didn't you want to homeschool all four? Why, why did you pick on this one? Uh, just, I, they're, they're growing up now. My 18-year-old is graduating high school this year, and she's working full-time at a nursing home. And uh, But the other two, uh, they're my siblings children are all three are I have one that's my own and uh but now just I mean because our whole so-called president <laughs> all right anyway and the one the called. one that uh, you wanted to homeschool how old was she when you wanted to homeschool but couldn't afford uh, it? 14 14 so that was just one year ago yes sir she would so she would have accepted it a year ago but won't this year uh no she wanted then either Okay, so the issue was not just a, a monetary one. The yes, listen. Yeah. Uh, well, and I don't know okay. how my wife. Uh... I, I look. I don't have a, a magic solution. Uh, I would bribe her, and also she could see her friends outside of school. I mean, that would be allowable. She will have friends in the homeschooling community. E- every homeschool kid has a community. I don't know, every. There's no such thing as every. Virtually every. And I would bribe her. The stories I am bringing to you about schools in America are, are truly dystopian. Dystopia is the opposite of utopia. I don't think Aldous Huxley in Brave New World or Orwell in 1984 could have imagined these things. And they are everyday occurrences. You realize what I said to you about Vermont? They will be teaching puberty lessons to fifth graders and have them talk about their identities, boys and girls together. So do you really feel you're a boy? 
And they won't be saying boys and girls anymore at these schools in Burlington, Vermont. They will be saying sperm producers and egg producers. And now this story out of Olympia, Washington, where string practice, that is violin, cello, viola, can easily produce white supremacy. This is a statement, I read it to you, the direct statement by the head of the Olympia, Washington school board. And yet the parents will continue to send their children there. Your child would be a better human being if you took your child out of school and had them apprentice with a plumber. I mean that literally. Now, I'm for homeschooling, but in terms of the type of human being that will result, in terms of psychological and moral health, they would be, they would be better off if they were apprenticing some blue-collar work. Anyway, with AI, it'll only be blue-collar work anyway in the future. <laughs> Artificial intelligence. It is endless. I mean, the articles every single day, another school district. Here's another one. Wall Street Journal. And this is just, these are articles of, of this past two days. Schools are ditching homework and deadlines in favor of equitable grading. This is in the Clark County where Las Vegas is. And the nation's fifth largest school system has joined dozens of districts in California, Iowa, Virginia, and other states in moves toward equitable grading. Why don't they have equitable grading in sports? Why do they allow one team to win? Do you realize it's the only arena of life in America untouched by equity? The only one is sports. It is part of the reason for its popularity, even though it, is, it has been devastated by the left and the cowards who own uh, NBA, NFL, NHL, and uh, uh, Major League Baseball, MLB. Uh, teams. Why why don't we have equity in results in sports or equity in race? I was watching uh, at a restaurant where I was eating. The TVs were on and they had NBA playoffs. And I don't remember which two teams, but there was not a single white player on with the 10 people playing, which, by the way, I couldn't care less. If you really want equity, why, why is that allowable? So let's see. Equitable grading. Leaders in the 305,000 student Clark County District said the new approach was about making grades a more accurate reflection of a student's progress. See, not a student's attainment, a student's progress. Homework is typically played down, and students are given multiple opportunities to complete tests and assignments. Multiple opportunities. In Las Vegas, sub-teachers and students say the changes have led to gaming the system and a lack of accountability. Really? Why would that happen? If you go to a job in real life, you can't pick and choose what tasks you want to do and only do the, quote, big ones, said Allison Henderson, a high school English teacher there. Lessons drag on now, she said, because students can turn in work until right before grades are due. 
we're really setting students up for a false sense of reality. Oh, how's this? You can't get a zero on a test. Grades start at 49 or 50. Because we don't want you to feel bad. So if you get no answers right, you don't get a zero, you get a lie. You got 50%. That's a lie. (laughs) So we're teaching students lying is fine. You got no questions answered correctly, and you got a 50. Wow. So if I don't show up for any of my radio shows, will Salem pay me 50% of my salary? Hey, that, that's a thought. I gotta, I gotta I use Las Vegas school system as a guideline. So I, I've given you today just three examples from Olympia, Washington, Las Vegas, Nevada, and Burlington, Vermont. And you still won't take your kids out. If you're a grandparent and you have the money, you should tell your child, I will pay the difference if one of you leaves your job to homeschool my grandchild. I will pay the difference. And a lot of you can afford it. A lot of grandparents have more money than their children. Well, that suggestion that I made at the end of the last segment is something you should really consider. Many of you are grandparents. Many of you have more money than your children, or at least certainly not the same overhead. You want to save your grandchild's life and values, and what, what is a life with the wrong values? It's awful. Offer to pay your child a certain amount of money to homeschool the child if their reluctance is financial. I don't know any other reluctance that uh, makes any sense to me. Three different school districts are ruining the children. And these are just the three of the news of this week. You would send your child to a school that doesn't say boys or girls, but says sperm producers and egg producers. You would keep your child in such a sick, toxic, sick, toxic environment. Wow. It's really something, really something. Okay, let's see here. North, okay, well, Dean, Dean in, in New Jersey, I've taken you a lot. You're a great caller, but I have to give other people a chance, my friend. Thank you. So I'm letting him go. Okay. Okay, Ray in Livermore is another veteran. i got to try to uh, give other folks a chance. Thank you, Ray. I know you always have good calls, too. Uh, Los Angeles and Eric, Hello. Hello. Uh, during the Cultural Revolution, Mao uh, set his red guard out to smash all 500 grand pianos that existed in, in China at the time in order to rid China of Western uh, cultural influences and colonialism. Uh, that, that's right. This, that's what we're, well, it, these are communists. They don't call themselves yes. communists, but they are Marxists, if you will. That There is no difference between the American left and uh, and uh, the uh, the communist parties of these countries, there is no difference. 
I'm not talking about liberals for the 10,000th, probably 10,000th time. Liberals vote for the Marxists, but they, are, they don't hold their values. By the way, I th- the greater shame is on liberals rather than leftists. Leftists believe in the vile ideas that they preach. Liberals don't believe in the vile ideas they vote for. That's, that's the thing. Never Trumpers have voted for Biden. They somehow live with themselves. Uh, I don't know how. I really don't. I don't know what acrobatics of conscience and reason they use. I so hate Trump that I voted for Biden. You voted for all of this. Hmm. The number of people governed by reason is very, very small. It includes people in in both arenas. It's more on the left, but it is also on the right. It's one of the sobering realizations that I have come to in my long life. The power of the emotions is very is very is very great and in most people it is not surmountable. Well, all right. Dayton, excuse me, Daytona, Florida. JR, hello. Hey Dennis. Um well uh, I guess my my uh, fundamental point right now, I have two kids in college. The only reason that, that they're not totally whacked out of their minds is I grew up completely conservative from my early 20s and when I had children their homeschooling was when they got home from school and I would look at their homework and I would actually have a conversation with them and say okay what did you learn today you know and you know how a kid is well nothing well no, no no tell me what you learned in this class and that class and so I slowly taught them the, the filter of what they were dealing with. And I did not have the option of fully homeschooling my children. They turned out fantastic. I still talk to them once a week. Uh, they're both at Ohio State University. They're both in uh, pre-med, excuse me, pre-med in engineering. So they, they can eliminate a lot of the silliness. But the courage of parents right now is that, in my opinion, an all-time low. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to fight for their children. They don't want to, you know, make a new... Why? Why, why? why don't they want to fight for their children? Uh, that, is, that, is, that is a wonderful question. And if I had an answer, I would tell you. But I'm talking about educated people with... with right. Okay. I will offer an answer. Cowardice. That's it. It's hard to fight. Because if you fight, you can, you can get hurt. That's it. It's 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 uh that was one of those questions that I asked where I I thought I had an answer to the question. Why don't parents fight for their children? Because it's tough to fight. People take the easy way out. That's it. And then one day you will look at your child and you won't like your child. You will always love your child, but you won't like your child. And frankly, that's at least as important as loving your child. 
In fact, if you had to actually uh, choose between the two, better to like your child than to love your child. It's best to do both, of course. Everybody loves their child. A lot of people don't like them. You didn't fight. It's tough to fight. That's why it's called a fight. I give you these data on what is happening in your kids' high schools and our elementary schools almost every day, and I would love to know how many people's lives I touch. I, really, I don't have any possible way of knowing. We continue. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here, and my third hour will be taken over by Julie Hartman. And the reason is I'm going to Phoenix for an event. If you're in the Phoenix area, it's special stuff, these cigar nights, even if you don't smoke cigars. Go to AM960. That's the website. Oh, no, no, not AM. 960thepatriot.com. See if there are still tickets for tonight. Julie and I do a podcast uh, every week between an hour and an hour and a half. I have never co-hosted anything in my 40 years of radio and gives you an idea of what I think of her. Julie, did you uh, hear, oh, you did. You heard some of what I reported on the school district. Mm -hmm. Would you homeschool your kids if you lived in these districts? Oh, absolutely. Honestly, prior to encountering your work, I thought that those who advocated for homeschooling were off the mark because I thought, how how is your kid going to be able to socialize? You know, are they really going to learn as much? If I had a kid right now, no doubt I would homeschool them. Wow. By the way, you were not present when I reported something good about your alma mater. Oh, really? Yes. I'm Do not tell. Kidding. Yes. Well, so 100 plus Harvard professors have gotten together with a for a free speech at Harvard Council. Oh, that's Over wonderful. Over 100 of them. That's wonderful. You know, as much as I did get canceled when I first went on your show, and, and I did, I, you know I lost friends. This audience knows that too. There were a lot of people who supported me, professors and students included. I have said a lot. I Harvard is not the worst. There, there really it's, is a silent majority. It's just. Oh, a, really? I'm not sure about that. Well, per- perhaps not a majority at Harvard, but there's a silent majority in the United States, and there's a silent contingent at Harvard. But the things that I would say to them is, you got you, you can't be silent. It will well, mean so much, given that you're at Harvard, if you just stand. You up. know, Harvard was the first college in the country to close down. I it, thought it was Princeton. No, I think it was Harvard. Mm. You want to blame Princeton? <laughs> I remember it being Princeton, but memory obviously is No, no, memory tricky. is, no, well, it's tricky, but look, blindly between your memory and mine, I would opt for yours, but I do, <laughs> I, I vividly remember that. Anyway, folks, stay tuned uh, for uh, Julie, who is a phenomenon. She just is. And I will see you folks in Phoenix tonight, and I will be back tomorrow, and we continue on the Dennis Prager Show. The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor Pain-Free Studio.
friends, and welcome to the third hour of the Dennis Prager Show. As you may have heard in the last segment, Dennis is actually right now in a car on the way to the airport to fly to Phoenix to give a speech or, I guess, host a cigar lounge hangout. Something like that. That guy has more energy, as I always say, than a toddler who drank some Red Bull. <laughs> I am Julie Hartman. I am the host of Timeless with Julie Hartman. I also host a show with Dennis called Dennis and Julie, which really all of you should check out if you haven't already. It is truly unique. Dennis and Julie premieres every Monday, and Timeless is Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. To start off this hour, I want to talk about this story. The Department of Justice is suing the state of Tennessee to reverse a ban on trans treatment for minors. This is a very, very sad day in this country. And whenever I read a story like this, I can't help but think about how astonishing it is that there are many people my age who don't know that this is happening. This is the same thing with the Twitter files, what came out just a few months ago where Twitter was colluding with the FBI to suppress conservative content. The FBI paid Twitter $3.4 million. We don't really know why they gave that cash over to Twitter, but what we do know is that the former FBI general counsel, James Baker, moved over from the FBI to Twitter, and he was the one specifically in charge of squashing the Hunter Biden laptop story. I give that example to say that if you ask the average 23-year-old, and I am 23 years old, if they know about the Twitter file story, I can promise you an overwhelming majority would not know it. And that is the same thing with this story here. They do not know the extent of the moral assault on our country that is undertaken not just by a fringe group on the left, but that has seeped into every institution, indeed in this story, our Department of Justice, which really should be aptly, more aptly renamed to the Department of Injustice. So the state of Tennessee joined other states like Ohio and Mississippi in passing a law that banned trans treatment for minors that includes prohibiting transgender hormone treatments and surgeries for those who are under the age of 18. Now, actually, this bill had bipartisan support in the Tennessee state legislature, which is good news, but it is not scheduled to take effect until July 1st of this year. So in this interim period, our Department of Justice, headed by the left-wing Attorney General Merrick Garland, is not focusing on our border issue, not focusing on the fentanyl crisis, not focusing on crime that has run rampant in our cities, not sending Charles Lieber, who is a former Harvard professor of chemistry who was paid off by the Chinese, they just announced that he is not getting any jail time. They're not focusing on the payouts that other individuals, such as members of the Biden family, get from China. No, that's not what our Department of Justice is focusing on. Instead, they are suing the state of Tennessee. They have argued that this new law, which again, if if it will still take effect, would take effect on July 1st, violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment because, allegedly, it discriminates against transgender youth diagnosed with gender dysphoria. This is what the uh, lawsuit claims, quote, while allowing non-transgender minors access to the same or similar procedures. I'm very eager to hear your thoughts about this. 1-8-Prager-776, 1-8-Prager-776. 
You know, we hear all the time from the left, and I heard this so much in high school and college, about the moral catastrophes that occurred in the United States in our history. People talk a lot about slavery, they talk a lot about Jim Crow, and they talk about how it took so long for people to stand up and rectify those wrongs. We are living in a time of moral outrage. It it really, I was actually driving in today thinking about this, and it sort of hit me like a lightning bolt. We are living during a time where there is sexual abuse of children, where there is manipulation of minors. We are living in a time where there is discrimination on the basis of race. We are living in a time where there is segregated dorms and segregated graduations. We are living in a time where there is unequal justice before the law. I was even on my show Timeless talking about how Africa right now, the continent of Africa, is being colonized by both Russian groups and Chinese groups. Many individuals in America talk about the colonization of Africa like it's an element of the past. It is happening now. And women are not being protected. We are living in an age, people talk about the patriarchy of the past. There is no greater patriarchy than men posing as women to steal the trophies and the accolades that would be given to women. We are living in a time of moral catastrophe and outrage. This is not a relic of the past, and it is happening right now. So when we talk about this Department of Justice story, I really, really want to encourage all of you to ask the left-wing relatives or friends in your life, why aren't you standing up to this? You are so confident that in a previous time, you would stand up against slavery, or you would stand up against Jim Crow or the patriarchy. We are living in a time that requires us to stand up now. Why are you not doing it? How are you so confident that you would, in a different time, stand up to the wrongs when right now you will not do the same? And unlike the past, right now, in 2023, at this time in American history, it is one of the easiest times, not just in our own country, but in world history, to stand up to evil. In other countries, if you speak out against the government or if you speak out against something that the government doesn't want you to speak out against, you will be persecuted. And actually, in some cases, you will be put to death. That is not true in the United States. We are lucky enough right now, and unfortunately, it's changing a bit, but we are lucky right now to be able to stand up against our government and not have the same consequences and punishments levied on us that they would have been levied at another time or at another place on earth. And yet so many of us remain silent in the face of such grave injustice. This is the state-sponsored mutilation of young children. That is what it is, plain and simple. There's no gray area here. I have not encountered one right-winger who has come out and said that people should not be transgender, period. It is their choice if they want to be transgender. What the right is opposing is forcing this upon young children, upon people who are not yet capable of making life-altering decisions about their body. Once that individual is 18 or 21 or whatever we agree the appropriate age is, then of course they can do what they want, whatever they want with their body. That is their, up to their discretion. But why is it so hard for members of our government and indeed the Department of Justice 
to be able to conceptualize that young kids should not be able to make these permanent decisions. I would like to ask the Department of Justice, and, and seriously, it's, it's sort of amazing that a, that a reporter or a politician hasn't done this already. Are they considering amending the age of driving? We agree that there needs to be a certain age at which people need to um, grow up to in order to be able to acquire a driver's license. Are they considering amending that? Now, maybe one would argue that getting a driver's license at a young age would harm other people, whereas getting a transgender surgery would only be consequential for that own individual in their body. But what about buying alcohol? We agree in this country that you have to be 21 years of age in order to have a drink. Now, arguably, if you are younger and you are drinking, you could harm other people. But overwhelmingly, drinking alcohol is harming yourself. I'm trying to use the argument here that they would be using that transgender surgeries don't harm other people. And that's why it should be allowed to be done earlier in life. But we're not trying to amend the age at which people drink alcohol. We aren't trying to amend the age at which people smoke cigarettes. In many states, you have to be 18 years old in order to smoke a cigarette. Actually, many states are trying to raise that age to 21. So it shows you the moral uh, perversions and inversions that have plagued this country where we're trying to raise the age where people can smoke cigarettes, but then lower the age for transgender surgeries. How about the age of sexual consent? Our government has agreed that it needs to be 18, that is, if someone older than 18 has sexual relations with someone under than 18, it is a felony. Are we considering altering the age of consent? The sad news is they probably are. That is the direction that we are going in. If we are saying that young people can make such permanent consequential decisions about their body, then all these other barriers will be eliminated. In the next segment, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about what is behind this agenda. Why is it that so many people, including our Department of Justice, actively want people to get these transgender surgeries? It is a very odd proselytizing agenda. More on this story in the next segment. Please call in 1-8-Prager-776. I'm Julie Hartman. This is The Dennis Prager Show. The Dennis Prager Show. Julie Hartman here. It is the third hour of The Dennis Prager Show. Dennis is on his way to Phoenix, Arizona, so I am sitting in for this third hour. It is great to be with you. I'm the host of Timeless with Julie Hartman and Dennis and Julie. You can catch Dennis and Julie on Mondays and Timeless Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. We are discussing this bombshell story, which really should be viewed as a bombshell story, but it is not being treated as such, that the Department of Justice is suing the state of Tennessee over a recent law that it passed banning minors from having transgender surgeries. You know, on my show Timeless, actually just a few days ago, I had a woman named Kara Dansky on my show. She wrote a book called The Abolition of Sex, and she is actually a left winger. She calls herself a radical feminist, and she is one of the leaders in the crusade against this transgender movement. I really encourage you all to check out that discussion because for most of it, we are disagreeing. For instance, she said that it was sexist for me to argue that women need to control their emotions. So we had a very interesting back and forth on that. But the one thing that we did not disagree on is the fact that minors should be, should not be, Uh, subject to this transgender proselytizing agenda. 
it's really amazing to see someone on the left who is coming out against this. And she acknowledges that she has been canceled by people who she once was uh, friends with, but they are coming out against her for being so brave and speaking out against this. I just said the word proselytizing. I want to spend a moment or two highlighting this because, you know, we see these stories all the time. Dennis in the previous hour was talking about what's going on at various schools around the country, the kind of sludge that they are teaching your children. And there really does appear to be an active agenda to make people transgender. Why else would you put a drag queen in front of a four-year-old? A four-year-old basically has a blank slate with regard to life. And you are trying to color their canvas. You are trying to color their picture with your own agenda. Why do so many school districts, including the Arizona Department of Education, try to push this on people? You should all go online and read the State Department of Education codes. The Arizona Department of Education has an online chat room which it encourages its students starting at the age of 10 to go on to where they can talk about sex and gender and non-binaryism and LGBTQIA plus XYZism without their parents knowing. Actually, that chat room that the Arizona Department of Education links on its website has an escape feature so that if your 10-year-old is on the chat room and the parent walks in, that 10-year-old can click the escape feature and immediately log off. That is a proselytizing agenda. That is not trying to, quote, normalize transgenderism, destigmatize transgenderism. That is what so many of these activists claim that they're doing. They say, oh, we just want to make it so that people are tolerant of differences and that we want to normalize this issue. That isn't normalizing. That is trying to seek and recruit converts. I often give this example back in the 60s. In a lot of American public schools, there was this policy where if a young child wrote with his or her left hand, the teacher would try to convert them or make them write with their right hand. And over time, we in the United States came to see that that was probably not the best course of action. You shouldn't make someone who's left-handed write with their right hand. My question is, how is this any different this is taking someone, to use the analogy, who is one way and trying to forcibly make them another way. Everyone deserves tolerance within the bounds of the law. That is part of living in a democratic, pluralistic society, even if we disagree with people's lifestyle choices, insofar as they are within the bounds of the law, we have to lend them tolerance. But tolerance is very different than outright enthusiastic support and endorsement. And that is what we are seeing now with this Department of Justice suing the state of Tennessee. They are saying, you need to enthusiastically support transgenders. You need to proselytize these young kids. And it is sick. And a final thing I'll say, and then I want to take a call about this issue. Isn't it fascinating to contemplate that every single one, and I mean every single one of the issues that our government focuses on are contrived? Think about this. Think about the emphasis on climate change, that climate change is supposedly a grave, uh, what is the word, Sean, existential, is that the word, threat to our existence. They say that racism is rampant in this country. Of course, climate change exists. Of course, racism exists. But they talk about it as if it is this cataclysmic threat. It's contrived. It is totally contrived. Same thing with homophobia, the same thing with transphobia. In 2021, only two 
transgender individuals were killed in hate crimes. Actually, I don't even I, I don't even know if I'm remembering that properly. It may they may not have been killed. They may have just been the subjects of hate crimes. Really? Is that enough to say that transphobia is rampant in this country? And so what we are seeing at the highest levels of our government and what we are seeing in schools is that people are trying to manufacture and curate and contrive these issues because it meets their political agenda to do so. Meanwhile, we have many other issues that are not contrived, that are very real and pressing. I mentioned in the last segment our fentanyl crisis. Crime is running rampant. Of course, in this country, we have income inequality. There are a lot of issues that we have that we need to focus on. But instead, our Department of Justice is focusing on this contrived transgender problem. Yep, that's the state of America right now. Let's go to Paul in Manhattan, who I believe has some thoughts on this subject. Hi, Paul. Thanks for calling in. Hey, Joey, thanks for taking the call. You know, I just want to say that, you know, I read online that in all 50 states, unless you're 18 years old, you cannot get a tattoo. That's with, you can even have parental consent to do it. Yes. That is true. Thank you for that call. It's it's what, one of the other examples that I was listing in the previous segment. You know, there's an age for alcohol. There's an age of sexual consent. There's an age at which you need to be in order to buy cigarettes. There's an age for a driver's license. And it's the same thing with tattoos. Why do we have all these other ages at which you need to be to be a mature adult to make that decision? But this isn't true with regard to transgenderism. You know, I am such a fan, those of you who listen to Dennis and Julie know, of Dennis's Torah commentary, specifically Genesis. And in the first literally three chapters of Genesis, what God does is his, his sole project in those first three chapters is to make distinctions between male and female, man and animal, holy and profane, clothed and unclothed, land and sea, etc., and Dennis so eloquently highlights that this is the basis of civilization. It is to have these distinctions. What the left is trying to do is that they are trying to unravel distinctions. As you highlighted, Paul, they are trying to unravel the distinctions between maturity and immaturity, young and old. They are trying to unravel the distinctions between legal and illegal, noble and ignoble, right and wrong. This is part of a greater agenda to unravel the civilizational distinctions that make our society work. 1-8 Prager 776. I'm Julie Hartman. This is The Dennis Prager Show. The Dennis Prager Show. Julie Hartman here in for Dennis Prager, who is on his way to Phoenix to smoke cigars with some of you. You can go online and uh, book a spot with him still if you'd like to join him. You know, I want to end this last segment by talking about something that could give us all a little bit of hope. I'm going to level with you a bit here. As a conservative talk show host, sometimes I feel like I am just throwing bad information out. It's so important for us to know about this information, to know about what's happening in our country, to be able to tell other people who don't know about it so they can wake up. But still, it's sometimes can be depressing. So I want to tell you something that should give us all something to look forward to. RFK Jr., as some of you know, is running for president of the United States as a Democrat. He is challenging our president, Joe Biden, for the nomination. He is the son of Robert F. Kennedy. He is the nephew of former President John F. Kennedy. And although he is running as a Democrat, it appears that he's sort of a dino, a Democrat in name only. 
because a lot of his positions are actually more aligned with conservatism. He has condemned elitism that has plagued the Democratic Party, the marriage between state and corporate power, how the Biden administration bailed out the billionaires at the Silicon Valley Bank, but then in the same month cut food stamps for 30 million Americans. RFK Jr. has talked about the weaponization of government against conservatives, and he has been especially brave with condemning the COVID lockdowns. In his announcement speech on April 19th, he really brilliantly analyzed the educational and economic catastrophes that emerged in the wake of those lockdowns, in addition to the 37,000 excess deaths from suicides, drug overdoses, etc. that happened. He has a troubled past. He has struggled with drug abuse and addiction. He has had some unfortunate failed marriages, but he he's open about it. He says, I have so many skeletons in my closet. If they could vote, I'd be king of the world. But he said, I am running because I don't recognize my party. I don't recognize my country. And I want to go back to the Democratic Party of JFK, RFK, and Martin Luther King. And in his most recent Les Majeste, for those who are unaware of the term, it's a French term to mean a rebuke of a monarch. In his most recent Les Majeste of the Democratic Party, he has talked about how the DNC changed its primary schedule for the first time in 50 years to put South Carolina first instead of Iowa first in order to grease the wheels for President Biden because uh, President Biden did pretty well in the last primary season in South Carolina. We should all consider supporting RFK Jr. in the primary. You know, for some Republicans, it may be their first and only time in their life that they would vote for a Democrat. How about that? Thanks so much for joining us today. And please be sure to check out Dennis and Julie and Timeless with Julie Hartman. I'm Julie Hartman. This has been The Dennis Prager Show. Take care, everyone. The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor pain-free studio. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com